All right, part four of Lumberjacks and Ballerinas this morning. Uh, so, most important thing first, this beard is not a No Shave November beard. This was actually a Lumberjacks and Ballerinas beard, uh, just so you know. The reason this is relevant to you is I, I keep asking my wife, like hinting at it, like, so what do you, what do you think? And, and she keeps saying things like, well, what's your plan? And like, I don't know if you guys, this is like a tip, gentlemen, that means something. Uh, you got to read between the lines. So I'm not sure how long this beard's going to last because I care more about what my wife thinks I look than how I think I look, just so you know. Um, so this may not be here next week. It's starting to get fluffy. Anyways, anyways, I know you guys care. So this is why we're starting here. Uh, so this series, we've been talking about uh, who you are right? Uh, who you are as a human, who you are as a man, who you are as uh, a woman, and how we are all created in the image of God. Uh, and for part four today, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk to you about how uh, with the image of God always comes the purpose of God. They're attached. When God creates something, how he creates it is always attached to how he wants to use it. Uh, so rather than continuing to talk to you about like the nuts and bolts of how you were put together and how you were created, I wanted to talk to you today about the story that God is writing over history. You know, the, the grand story that, that started with creation and the creation of humans uh, and, and, and the humans that bear his image and then that continues on like all the way to this day, the overall story. You know what I'm saying? How it, and, and each individual story, your story, plugs into his story, God's story that he's writing over all creation. So it started way back in the beginning, right, with, with like pristine creation. When God created the universe and created humans, it was, it was good. And it didn't take very long before humans screwed that up, right? The very first sin happened pretty early and paradise was lost. And uh, the implications of that sin were huge, like massive, way bigger than they would have ever thought because it, it separated human beings from their creator, the creator whose image they bared. Now they were separated from God. And creation itself somehow cracked and broke. We're not fully sure what it was like before, but it's messed up now. Uh, and at that point, God could have said, you know what, forget this, I'm done. He could have destroyed creation, but he didn't. Instead, God uh, started a plan to restore what was lost. And uh, a plan that has spanned now thousands of years. He, you know, he picked one person, Abraham, to start to work through him and then a people, Israel, and he wanted to use Israel as kind of the ambassadors on earth for God to connect uh, the people to their creator, God. And Israel, if we're honest, uh, didn't do a great job at that. For thousands of years, Israel kind of bumbles through. Uh, every once in a while, for periods, they would have moments where they're like, they're like a light in a dark and broken world. But for the most part, they kind of selfishly hoard the thing that God gave them. And uh, the world suffers for it. So they bumble through history, through history. And then eventually they do bring God to the earth, but not in the way they expected. Uh, Jesus is born. God comes down, born uh, a Jewish man. And Jesus lives this perfect life, dies on the cross in our place for sins, three days later, rises from the dead uh, so that anyone who believes doesn't have to perish but can have everlasting life. And uh, in that, Jesus is, is restoring the thing that was lost. Now human beings can, can connect with their creator through faith in Jesus and what he did. 
Now, then Jesus ascends to heaven, right? And he delegates this, this uh, task of getting this message of reconciliation, redemption, restoration to his church. He delegates it to us. And for 2,000 years now, the church has had this mission right? And, and we, kind of like the people of Israel, have, have had moments as a church, like overall church, where we've done a decent job for the past 2,000 years. And, but if we're honest, we've also had moments where uh, we kind of selfishly hoard this thing that God has given us, and we treat the world rather uh, than treating them like a mission field. We treat the world like they're our enemies, and it's kind of messed up. So uh, here we are, and if you look all the way back, thousands of years ago to, to creation, to Israel, to Jesus, to the church, to us, it's November, what? I don't even know the date. What? 19th. It's totally the 19th of November, 2017. Here you sit in Wadsworth High School, a part of a church called Mosaic. The question I have for you today is, how do you fit into this story? What, what role do you play in this, this grand story that God's been writing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? What part are you supposed to play? What kind of impact are you supposed to leave? What, what's the, the, the part of this picture that God is painting? What's the picture going to look like in the part that you are because you're there? What, what role are you going to play in this grand narrative? Because you bear the image of God, and with the image of God comes the purpose of God. Uh, and he has a purpose for you, a role for you, a part to play in this story. You're going to leave the world different than it was before you showed up. And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's pray and then jump into that. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for this grand story that you're writing. I thank you for allowing us to be a part of that, Lord. And I pray for every single person here, Lord. Even, even the person that's sitting there right now going, I don't, I don't know, man, I don't even feel like I have a role. Lord, I pray um, that you would move in their hearts and that they would see, that they would feel in the depths of their soul that you have a reason, you have a purpose for them and that you would start to reveal that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna go to uh, the book of Ezekiel today, chapter three. Um, the verses we're going to look at uh, are really special to me. I don't know if you have like a part of the Bible that's like, I don't know, people call them like their life verses, like, like parts of the Bible that you feel like, man, God like wrote that for me. Like if you have one of those, like this is one of the ones for me, uh, so much so that I named my son Ezekiel. So uh, that has something to do with it. It's just a short little section. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter three that shows the prophet Ezekiel being called by God, right? It, it kind of shows God explaining to Ezekiel, hey, this is how you're gonna fit into my story that I've been writing for thousands of years. And you know, Ezekiel's somewhere here. See, he's somewhere in, in Israel's story. And, and God says, hey, plant yourself here. This is what I want you to do here. This is the impact I want you to leave on the earth. So he's, he's explaining this to Ezekiel. It starts in verse uh, four. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. Then he said, son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. So the first thing we see is that Ezekiel is being given messages from God to the people of Israel. God wants Ezekiel to be a conduit through which God is going to speak to the people. He wants Ezekiel to be this like go-between to connect God uh, to his people through this message. And if you take that in a very general sense, it's the same thing we're called to. If you are a Christian, you are called uh, to uh, give a message that will connect people to God. So you're kind of a lot like Ezekiel. Now God continues in verse five. I'm not sending you 
to a foreign people whose language you cannot understand. No, I'm not sending you to people with a strange and difficult speech. If I did, they would listen. So this is, this is an awesome couple of verses here. So what God says is, hey, I'm not sending you on a missions trip, okay? I'm not going to send you like to some tribe in Africa who, who wouldn't understand. I'm not sending you to China. I'm not sending you to South Africa, you know, or anywhere where they don't speak your language. Um, I'm sending you to people who are like you, man. They, they, they speak the same language. And uh, I think God means that on like both literally and figuratively, as we'll see here in a minute. But like, hey, these people speak your language, man. They're just like you. Um, but then he adds this little line. And, and it's like, why are you telling me this, God? He adds this little line at the end. If I did, they would listen. So at first it's kind of comforting. Like, man, I didn't really want to go to Africa anyways. I'm happy about that. But, but then God throws this little thing at the end. If I did, they would listen. So what God is saying here is, hey, Zeke, if I were sending you to a group of people who didn't even speak the same language as you, you would have an easier time than the people I'm sending you to. Uh, like, the message I'm going to give you would be better received from people who literally couldn't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth than the people I'm sending you to. That's how difficult. Like, he's, he's explaining to him the difficulty level of the mission that he has given Ezekiel. The degree of difficulty is so high, it'd be easier if, if I was sending you to some people who don't speak the same language. And here's why, verse 7. But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they're going to listen to me, for the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. So God tells Ezekiel that he's sending him to these people who would, won't even listen to God himself, let alone Ezekiel. And the reason is because they are hard-hearted and stubborn. They are so stubborn, it'd be easier to talk to people who don't speak your language, man. That's how stubborn these people are. But I love these next two verses. So at this point, it's kind of like, man, that's, that's what you want me to do? Like, wow, God, like, you could have, like, warmed me up to it a little bit, you know? Like, told me it was going to be awesome or something. I don't know, like, lie to me a little bit. Like, tell me it's going to be okay. But God's like, no, this is going to be really hard. Really, really hard. But the next couple of verses are some of my favorite ones. But look. So I'm sending you to stubborn people, but look, I have made you as obstinate and hard-hearted as they are. I have made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock, so don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. So what God just says to Ezekiel here is, hey, I'm sending you some really stubborn people, but I made you even more stubborn than they are. God uniquely created Ezekiel to fulfill this difficult mission to super stubborn people by making Ezekiel even more stubborn than they are. <laughs> and all the stubborn people said amen, right? So here's what I want you to see. There are things inside of you uh, that if used incorrectly are flaws, right? You know you have flaws, right? This is the first time you've been told you have flaws. You have some flaws. And those flaws will damage the people around you, right? They're going to mess your life up. They're going to cause dysfunction and chaos for people who are close to you. However, those very same things, those very same flaws, those very same weaknesses, if brought under God's control, can be used to fulfill the very mission for which you were created. If you allow God to wield those things, those characteristics, those personality traits that can be damaging outside of God's control, can be mighty weapons, can be tools in God's hand to build his kingdom and to push back darkness. The reason I love this story so much is because stubbornness is one of mine. <laughs> like God, or, or like Ezekiel, God made me stubborn. 
And if left unchecked, outside of God's control, I can kind of be a nightmare to deal with sometimes. And my wife said, amen. But if I allow God to get a hold of that, if I allow God uh, to mold and shape that, if I bring it under his authority, it can be used to build his kingdom. And what I want you to see is there are some things about you that other people are gonna say, man, that's, that's messed up, that's a weakness, that's a flaw that you have. And what they want you to do is get rid of it, right? Bury it, uh, you, don't, you don't want that anywhere around you. You need to get rid of that part of you. But I think there's a piece of that weakness, a piece, not the whole thing, Parts of it, God's going to have to chisel parts off. He's going to have to sand it. He's going to have to purify it. But there's a piece of that weakness that I think God wants to use in your life. Matter of fact, I bet it's your weakness that's going to be the thing that makes the biggest impact on this world if you allow God to get a hold of it. Now your strength. <laughs> if you give it to him, right? if you allow God to break you, if you allow God to mold you. I mean, just imagine this. So God just told Ezekiel, I made you really stubborn, like almost supernaturally stubborn. Your forehead is as hard as the hardest rock. Imagine Ezekiel's life leading up to this. Like, can you imagine his wife? God, she's gotta be exhausted, right? Like, oh man, you are so stubborn. And his, his marriage had to have tension in it. He's probably dealt with problems his whole life. And then one day God says, hey, listen, that thing that's messed you up and caused you all kinds of pain, give it to me. Give it to me. Let me use this. Because I, I planted this in you a long time ago. You didn't know why until now. Now, let me have it. Let me use it. I'm going to mess the world up now. If you let me have that, if you let me wield that, if you let me mold that weakness, I can use it. I can use it. And for me, I hope that's comforting to you, that if you allow God to have those things, that just might be the way that he changes the world through you. Now, God tells Ezekiel two final things in this calling in, in verse 10 and 11. Then he added, son of man, let all my words seek deep, sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Do this whether they listen to you or not. So the first thing God says in here is uh, you, you gotta take this message into yourself, man. You gotta let this message impact you first. Then you can take it to others, okay? You gotta, God wants to transform you with his message first. He wants to infect you, you know? He wants to change you first. And once the message has a hold of you, then you can take it to others. That's the first thing God says. And then he leaves them with this final line. Do this, whether they listen to you or not. I love that line. That's, I think, one of the most important ones. God tells Ezekiel that he wants him to be faithful to this mission, whether he's successful or not. God says that the, the way he's gonna judge Ezekiel is based on faithfulness, not on like a certain kind of outcome. And this is an appeal to Zeke's stubbornness, by the way. Think about this. Do this whether they listen to you or you're not. Like, that's like speaking to my heart. Like, okay, absolutely, I will go do that. That is awesome, God. Thank you. I'm going to. Don't give up. Don't interpret a lack of success as some kind of sign from me to stop Zeke. That's not going to be true. You go give that message whether they listen or not. Stick with it. I think that's important. If you hear from God, uh, uh, a call, if you feel a nudge from God, you do it 
whether it works or not, you, you stay faithful to that, and I believe God honors that. I believe God honors that. So uh, I was a church kid growing up, um, and I used to think that if you really wanted to sell out for Jesus, uh, if you really wanted to be like a varsity Christian, you know, those guys, that you had to go to Africa. I don't know why it was Africa. It was like Zimbabwe specifically. Uh, that was where you needed to go. If you really wanted to be one of those Christians, man, that was the place you had to go there, um, like the highest thing you can do. But what I hear from God in this story, talking to Ezekiel, is that maybe the toughest mission field isn't Zimbabwe. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe the hardest person for you to reach isn't some tribal leader. It's going to be that dude that works right next to you every single day. See, and isn't that true? Like for me, I like, <laughs> I always thought it'd be easier actually to go to Africa in some ways. Like, like I don't know. It's, I'm not as connected to that, but the guy I work with every single day who knows me and has here heard me uh, talk for months and months and months, and now all of a sudden I want to share Jesus with him. That's harder for me. That's harder for me. Those people who are just like me, those people who speak my language, you know, not English, I mean like, you know, they like the same sports teams, they have the same amount of kids, they have dishes in their sink, you know, their lawn isn't mowed, hasn't been mowed for like, I don't know, five weeks, something like that. You know, those people, the people who are just like me. Those are the ones that God wants you to reach. What if you're just like Ezekiel? What if God's whispering in your heart not to go to Africa or China or South America what if God is whispering for you to share the gospel to the people around you who are just like you? And what if he wants to use, this is the best part, what if he wants to use those things that you think are weaknesses, those things that you think are flaws to connect with people? You know that's true? That's how you connect with people is through your, through your weaknesses. You don't connect with people by presenting some front that you're perfect. You know that. And you don't connect with people who, who seem like they've got their entire lives together. You connect with the person who's like, oh my gosh, they're just... <laughs> Messed up as I am, <laughs> right? That's how you connect. What if God wants to use those things to connect you with them so that you can take that message and actually have it be accepted? Now, I do think there's a difference between you and Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet, right? Uh, and the Old Testament prophets tended to be loners. Uh, their mission was largely individualistic. Here's the message you take it to the people. But the way God works in the New Testament is a little bit different, right? He doesn't speak through one person like a prophet. He tends to speak through a group of people, a church. God's mission in this part of the story is more about we than it is me. You follow? Because there's more power in we than there is me. Leadership guru John Maxwell, I don't know if you've ever heard him, he says that one is too small a number to achieve greatness. One is too small a number to achieve greatness. That's true in leadership, that's true in life, and that's true when it comes to your mission and your calling. If you really want to leave an impact on this earth, if you really want to fulfill the mission, the purpose that God has for you, if you want to leave a mark on the part of this grand story that God is writing, you shouldn't do it by yourself. You should find a group of passionate people who want to leave the same kind of mark and join forces with them. I learned a, a word the other day. I'm into learning words right now. So my kids ask me what every single word means. And you'd be surprised how hard that is. Even words that you're like, I totally know what that means. When your kid says, what does this mean? You're like, ah, it's something. Like, I'm always looking stuff up now. <laughs> Even very easy words. But I'm learning new words because of it. And this word uh, jumped out to me the other day. Uh, the word coalesce. 
coalesce. Uh, it means to unite, grow, or come together to form one mass or whole. Like a bunch of small streams coming together to form a deep and powerful river. They coalesce. And I want you to see that our impact will be greater if we coalesce. Our purpose, our mission will be stronger if we coalesce. God wants us to come together just like he wrote in the New Testament of the Bible. Our mission, our purpose is going to be a group effort. It's not a me thing, it's a we thing. So what I'm hoping is that you see your mission, your purpose as being connected with our mission, our purpose. So if, if you call Mosaic home, if you're just checking us out today, don't worry, I'm not like that. This is, I know it's like our first date. I'm not gonna ask you to like, we're good, okay? So I'm gonna ask for some commitment. Um, but if this is your, that was weird, I'm sorry. This is your, <laughs> I gotta think of a better way to say that. Um, if this is your church, if this is where you have planted your roots, I hope that you are like magnetically drawn to something, to be a part of something bigger than yourself. So can I talk about us for a minute? Can I talk about Mosaic? Um, how we fit into this story? You know, this grand narrative that God is writing all of a sudden here in 2017, there's this church called Mosaic in Wadsworth, Ohio. How do we fit in to this story? I want to share some things that I feel like God's been nudging me on, God's been kind of impressing me on for, for us. Uh, and if this is your first or second time here, this is perfect. You actually get to kind of feel for what we're about today or hopefully what we're going to be about. Um, I think as a church, we're a lot like Ezekiel. We have some stuff about us that people would consider flaws, right? Weaknesses that most people would say, you need to get rid of that, man. You need to bury that. You need to fix that. Um, we're a young church, right? And I don't, mean, I don't just mean average age. That's true. We are an average age young church. But what I mean is we have a lot of people who haven't been Christians for very long. Uh, or you, you did come to faith when you were younger, but you didn't do much with it until recently. So, so we're, we're a young church. Uh, which means we're a little rough around the edges sometimes, right? We're a little messy. Uh, we're like that t-shirt. You ever seen that t-shirt that says like, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little? You ever seen that t-shirt? That's us. That's us. I hate that you clap for See, this is why. This is what they say. <laughs> you just proved them right. <laughs> but here's the deal. As, as rough around the edges as we are, as, as messy as we are, I think God wants to use that part of us. There's something real, there's something raw about that, and I think it can be powerful. Now, that doesn't mean we don't address our stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's not an excuse to be like, I'm, I'm just gonna stay this way because God wants to use this messed up part of me. That's not what I'm saying. It's not true for you individually. It's not true for us collectively. But I do think God wants to use uh, both <laughs> parts, uh, our strengths and our weaknesses together as a church. So can I share some things that I think God wants to work on in us? Some stuff that as I'm, I know it's only November, but I kind of start my New Year's resolutions early. This is a little tip, by the way. Um, if you're going to start in January, like some kind of thing where you get in shape, I don't know if you do that or not. What I do is I start working out like hard now. Don't touch my diet because December, what are you going to do in December? It's stupid. You're going to eat cookies. Eat cookies and work out. But then 
it makes it easier because instead of hitting everything at once in January, you've already been working out for a month. So then you add the diet. It's brilliant. Anyways, that's how I do it. I don't know if it worked for you. But since I'm already kind of starting to think about like what's going to happen next year, I started to reflect on us as a church and some stuff that I, I, I wanted like God to start laying stuff on my heart. Um, so I want to share these things with you that I see for us as, as we continue to go and that mark that I want to leave collectively on this story. So the first thing uh, for us as a church is, man, I see us being fiercely loyal and submissive to what God says in his word. So often I see people who kind of have a buffet attitude uh, towards the Bible. Like, you know, ooh, I like that verse. That's a good, ooh, hope in a future. That's, I want some hope in a future, right? I'm more than a conqueror. Yes, yes, yes. Ooh, that, what does he want me to do? I'm good. A hard pass on that, right? Like, and they kind of go down the line and they pick the verses that they like and they pass on the ones that they don't like. But man, I see Mosaic as being a church full of people whose default position in their minds and in their hearts is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Before you know the question, you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you want. I want to be loyal. I want to be submissive to what you say, that we collectively would have a teachable spirit, that we would humbly submit ourselves to what God says for our lives, even the parts that don't make sense, even the parts that are hard, even the parts that cost us, that that would be our default position. Yes, Lord. Fiercely loyal and submissive to what God says in his word. The second thing is that we would be, as a group, stubborn about our spiritual habits. I feel like so many people uh, fail to make the connection between the small everyday decisions and the overall picture of their life. They, they complain about the big picture, but they don't do anything about the details. And it always confuses me. And, and like I have people come into my, in my office and they're like, man, my spiritual life's jacked up. I'm like, really? Okay, well, what's going on down here? Oh, that's not the problem. The problem's up here. I'm like, no, they're, they're connected. You're not doing this and you're surprised that this is messed up. The details make up the big picture. And, and us as a church, overall, I, I, I see us being stubborn about our spiritual habits that make up our spiritual health, that we would make that connection. That yeah, Pastor Adam talks all the time about reading your Bible and praying every single day because Pastor Adam knows that if you do that, the details, that the big picture is gonna be better. That we would, as a group, find time to connect with God every day that we would see the value in that, that we'd be like hungry to grow, you know, like the opposite of apathetic, that we'd be excited uh, that we are not where we were spiritually, but we're not, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived spiritually yet. Philippians 3, 13, 14, this is the apostle Paul saying this. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Guess what? If the Apostle Paul did not think he had arrived spiritually, neither have you. <laughs> okay? Neither have you. There are things that God still needs to work on, and I feel like those spiritual habits, those every day, uh, Every morning, connecting with God is going to help him. It's going to be the way God continues to move in your life. Stubborn about our spiritual habits. Third thing, uh, that we would be a church that refuses to have unhealthy relationships with each other. It's easier to hold a grudge than to forgive, right? It's easier to be bitter than it is to reconcile. But so many churches, so many churches are full of bitterness and passive aggressiveness and like that sideways snarkiness, you know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff, not us. 
not us. First Peter 4, 8 says this, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love co- covers a multitude of sins. I love that. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know what that means? Like, what that means is this world has enough petty churches, okay? You know, petty, there's petty. Every, every little thing's gotta be a thing. It's gotta be, there's gotta be a, a big uh, discussion about this little stuff that we gotta, we gotta get uh, all worked up about the small stuff. Let's, let's not do the petty thing. Let's not be that church. Let's not be the petty church. Let's let love cover the small stuff. And for the stuff that isn't petty, let's talk to each other. I just got a phone call the other couple weeks ago from somebody who's like, hey, you did this and it upset me and here's why. And I said, dude, you're right. I jacked that up. I'm sorry. And it was over. Like we we're totally normal now. Like how about that? It worked. Like you just say the thing, you ask for forgiveness and it's over and now we're moving on. Instead of having this bitterness and these grudges weighing us down, it's over. How about we be that church? How about we be that church that just... (laughs) talks to each other if there's something wrong and doesn't carry this stuff around. Fourth thing, that we'd be grateful. They would be grateful. We, we all know that the atmosphere of our culture is entitlement, right? That most people's lives are not marked by gratefulness for what they have, but are complaining about the things that they do not have. <sighs> not us. Especially not to each other, right? I mean... Let's express gratitude to each other. What if that was one of the marks of, of Mosaic? What if that could be one of the things we, know, we are known for? I mean, do you realize all the stuff that people do around here? It's crazy for me to sit back and watch, but like setup team, I mean, they get this whole thing together. They set it up and tear it down every single week. They get here at like 7.30 in the morning. They don't leave till like 12.30. Do you realize that? There's a lot of guys who do that. Um, G kids, man, and G tots and nursery workers, they sacrifice being in here with us so our kids can be cared for and taught about God. And they spend an hour with our kids impressed, right? Thrive leaders give up a night every week and pour into us and pray about and think about the things they're going to talk, the the discussion they're going to facilitate, and they have to keep their house clean one night a week, which is worth something. Worship team, man, they practice every Wednesday. They get here early every Sunday and they work their butts off to learn songs and to be able to stand up here and lead us in worship of Almighty God. Let's not do that thing. I think so often I see people do that thing where like they... I work harder than you. So your thing doesn't even matter because I work harder. Can we not do that? Like, let's not do that. Everybody here is carrying uh, a part of this as we coalesce, as we come together to move this thing along. Man, let's just be grateful for, to each other for the things that, it, that each piece that we are doing. Let's have an, added, uh, an atmosphere of gratitude in this place. Last thing, that we would be obsessive includers. Every church has to deal with the tension of caring for the people that we already have and including more of the people who are not yet a part of it, right? There's like a tension in that for every single church. The problem is that it is easier to become uh, focused on taking care of the people who are already here. You know that, right? Like that is, that is gravity for a church. That is gravity for a church to become inward focused. Do nothing and that's where a church will head is to worry, be worried about us. We already got our group and we're good. If you look at any church that's like in its death spiral, it'll look a whole lot more like a social club than it will uh, a tribe of people on a mission from God. You know what I'm saying? A church that's in hospice, you know, kind of just playing the waiting game, <laughs> uh, waiting for the inevitable, will make decisions based on what keeps everyone who's already here happy, not make decisions based on what's best to reach more people. Me and Jonathan did this really unhealthy thing this week. Tuesday, I don't even know how it happened. This is what we need to be more focused. 
we just started uh, browsing other churches' websites. And it's never good for pastors to do that for any reason. It either goes judgmental or jealousy. Like those are the ones only on two directions you go. Um, but it definitely went judgmental. Uh, <laughs> but we were looking and man, we we're just making these observations because some of the churches, you know, I know that they're not doing well and, and you can just read it all over that we're about us. These are the things we do that keep us happy. And it's just, it's just oozing from the church that they don't really care about the people who aren't there. They only care about each other. They only care about what they like. And uh, not us. We always got to keep one eye outside of our tribe, right? We have to remember that we have a mission. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and make nice little clubs for people who already believe in me and, and keep, every, keep them happy. He didn't say that, right? He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and share the gospel. Go into the world and tell them that I died in their place and that I took their sin onto me and that they can have a relationship with their creator because of what I did for them. I want to be a church full of includers, obsessive about it, where we remember our mission. It's actually, by the way, just... Side note, like one of the reasons we do uh, sermon series is to give you an opportunity every like four to six weeks to invite people. Um, it's like an excuse, you know? Like, hey, we're starting a new sermon series. You should come check it out. Um, and I've heard people say before, like, well, I've invited everybody I know. And I'm like, well, gold star, I guess. Um, but consider, like, when you say you've invited everybody you know, do you mean, like, once? I don't know, like, is it a checklist? Did you go down the whole line and be like, okay, done, and you, like, put the list off to the side? Because it's supposed to be an ongoing thing. Um, and, and the reason we do it this way is, is, is it gives you a new opportunity and kind of a new angle, right? Like, so uh, we did the fight series uh, a while back, and uh, so the idea was, man, you're going to fight for purpose. You're, gonna, you're not going to lay down in life, and, like, that gives you an opportunity. If you've got people in your life who are kind of beat down, kind of feeling, feeling like they're getting stuff piled onto them, hey, we're starting a series called, called Fight. Like, you should come, man. I feel like that would, that would really, like, speak to what you're going through in, in your life. And if not, then, hey, we're, in, we're starting a series next week called uh, Ideal Family. Do you know anybody who has a jacked up family? I don't know. You're going to be having dinner with them on Thursday? <laughs> like we thought that might be a good on-ramp to say, hey, you know what? Here's an ideal family. Here's a real family. Here's what we can do about it. Like we want to do a sermon series and it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, um, be careful how you do that, right? But we want to give you these handles to be able to do this because we care about people who aren't here yet. This church is for us, but it's not a, about us. You know what I'm saying? Like it's about the people who aren't here yet. It's about that, that mission that Jesus put us on. And... Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about us this, this year and like who we are as a church. And we have this saying uh, that we're a church for people who don't think church is for them, right? We, we say that a lot. That's actually not technically our mission statement. Our mission statement is so that the lost, broken, and skeptical will find new life in Christ. Uh, but the thing we say the most often is we're a church for people who don't think church is for them, right? And, and uh, you ever realize, like, like sometimes you say something and you say it so often that you stop realizing how it comes off to people. Do you ever have anything like that in your life where, where like, you don't understand the way it's coming off? And I, I realize that about that statement because um, I've talked to a lot of people this year and I think a lot of people have a certain thing pop into their head when they, th when they think about a person who doesn't think church is for them. And uh, most often the thing I've gotten this year is, oh, you're a church for, for like, people struggling with addiction? And I'm like, 
what? Well, yeah, like I think that a tr- person who struggled with that would, this would be a good place for them to come because we don't look sideways at people, that we really are the church where you can come in and it doesn't matter how you look, um, generally how you smell, we're okay. We're, we're not going to give you the weird looks. Uh, we, don't, we don't do the judgmental thing. Um, but that's like not what I mean. When I say we're a church for people who don't think church is for them, I don't just mean that. Um, I mean like we're the church for the IT guy who didn't believe in God at all, you know? We're him. We're a church for him. We're a church for the girl who owns a CrossFit gym who never felt like she could fit in anywhere, but she found here. We're the church for the mechanic who cannot go a half hour without saying a cuss word, but really wants a relationship with Jesus. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Maybe five. Sorry. We're the church for the truck driver who, who thought church didn't matter for it, to his life at all. We're the church for the for- former Catholic girl who got completely turned off by church growing up, but wants to have a relationship with God. We're a church for your neighbor. We're a church for the people who's just like you. We're, we're that church. It's for those people who, who they think what, that when they walk into church, a certain thing's gonna happen and we're, we're not that. So, so don't pigeonhole this thing into being one little type of person. It's for those people who are just like you. They speak your language, Ezekiel, them, and yep, this is the hardest one. Those people, they're gonna be the hardest ones for you to reach, but God wants to use you. He made you specific to reach them. He made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock. Whatever flaws he gave you, he's given them you for, for the purpose of connecting with those people. That's what we're about. That's, I hope, how we fit into this story. That's the impact I want to leave. So, next week we start a new series. Invite your messed up friends and all the people uh, who you feel like might not feel like church is for them. Let's pray.